Welcome. My name is Neil Canavan. I'm the scientific advisor to Solberry Trout, and this is the latest edition of NameTag, a podcast series that introduces healthcare investors to the people and the pipelines driving the sector forward. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Adi Hurst, CEO of Afamid. Adi, guten Tag. Guten Tag, Neil. <laughs> so for our listeners who have, heard, uh, who have heard my previous podcast, this one is going to unfold exactly the same way. We're going to start off with Adi's elevator pitch for Afamid, followed by an introduction to Adi himself and the journey that led him to the helm at Afamid. After that will be a sort of medium altitude description and related data, clinical data, for the technology in question, which in this case is bispecific antibodies for the use in oncology. Finally, we'll wrap up with the business particulars, uh, meaning the timeline for upcoming catalysts and a snapshot of current financing. Now, before my first question, I do need to disclose that Adi and I have met on any number of occasions, and we have a shared a glass or of wine or three uh, there out in the Hamptons, and I'm looking forward to doing that again next week. Now, on to business. Adi, give me the elevator pitch for Afamed. So we hear it every day. Individuals are diagnosed with cancer, and this creates big uncertainty. So what happens? Tumor has begun to evolve despite the fact that the immune system should have taken care of it. We at Affimid, we are dedicated to develop methods that could help to address this issue. We are focusing on restoring the patient's innate immune system, a powerful defense system, so it can do what it's been designed to keep patients healthy. We do this through bi-specific antibodies that bind, activate, and direct innate immune cells to specific antigens leading to elimination of tumors. Indeed, in our clinical studies, we're seeing first successes in severely ill patients. Excellent. Before we get too much more into the, the clinical results of, of the drugs themselves, I want to pull back just a bit, and I need to know a bit more about you for our listeners. You're one of those MD-PhD people we, we find so often in immuno-oncology. Now, uh, what was your discipline? How long were you at the bench or your bedside before you transitioned to industry, and, and why did you make that move? Yeah. So I've been trained as a chemist, which really was teaching me the basics that were fundamental for my future career. Uh, so that took about five years, this education. Then for my PhD, I transitioned into molecular biology and protein engineering. Uh, this was very exciting because I, for the first time, learned on how to manipulate biologic systems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then after uh, that, I went to go to... The, mm -hmm, that, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Then, then I went on, did a postdoc, uh, went to Boston. Uh, I was at Harvard, Dana-Farber, and I was doing protein crystallography. So I solved the structure of a therapeutic protein, uh, therapeutic-relevant protein that could neutralize endotoxins. This hmm. was known to be a cause of septic shock. Right. This was the time when patient medicine became highly relevant to me, and I also got involved in drug discovery. So I was studying small peptidic molecules for their use to treat septic shock, obviously all in animals. I did this at the Medical Research Institute in Munich, and in parallel, I joined Morphosis as a founding scientist. So this started wow. my industry career, and I was initially working at the bench, and then later transitioned into material positions, managerial so at positions. 
at Morphosis, which was 1993 when you joined that company, and they're, they're currently doing pretty well. Now, I'm interested in your development as a CEO. Could you give me a lesson that you may have learned about how to run a successful company uh, that you may have learned at Morphosis that it's something that was different from what you learned at the bench on how to run things? <laughs> so Morphosis was a great opportunity for me because this was when I transitioned over from being at the bench into running business development. So I was out. And I had to sell what we were producing as a biotech company. Now, selling often is attached to a little bit of a, let's say, a fishy, uh, mm. <laughs> a fishy thing. But I, I really enjoyed that because at that time, it was still, you needed to have the deep competence, understanding antibody engineering, understanding the uh, antibody libraries and, and uh, its applications, but I also had to learn to deliver. That was the biggest lesson when, uh, during my years at Morphosis that you need to bring your things that you start, your, uh, your ideas, to a certain uh, result. And in my case, the results were the deals that I saw. I see. Now, you came to AFIMED in 2010. Um, what would, attracted you to that opportunity? Yeah, there were 10 years in between. So I left Morphosis. Uh, the first lesson I needed to learn was to work in a a bigger company, so I joined a large company, spent there a few years to understand processes and, uh, and everything you need to know about a big company. But uh, my faith's been uh, uh, biotech, so I knew that I, I want to go back, and I joined a company called Cherini. Mm-hmm. At Cherini, we were developing a drug for a rare disease at the time when rare diseases weren't as hot as today. This disease was called hereditary angioedema. And I remember the first sales forecast that was done for this drug on a global basis. It was 40 million euros. So nobody ever knew about these patients. Nobody ever knew about the potential in there. And what I was very grateful is that also brought me in contact to patients through their patient organization. And I learned how debilitating that life had been. We were successful launching this drug. It's now called Ferriser. And Ferris is a big success for the patients because it has changed their lives. But it's also commercially a huge success. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cherini was acquired by Shire, which now is Takeda. And this drug is one of the blockbusters they have in their portfolio. So that mm-hmm. gave me a very important lesson that I want to run a company that is developing drugs. So after this sale, obviously, you, you have the time to reorientation and then I found out about Afimet through a friend who worked there. And uh, then I looked at that, and indeed it brought me back to my roots where I started. So I'm back to antibody engineering. I'm back to what I learned initially at, uh, at Morphosis, and I, can pl- and I can apply to Afimet all my learnings that, uh, uh, that I had yeah, taken in the past 20 years. Okay, now the next question is going to be a bit harder for you because you are a protein expert. But I need a high-altitude description because not everyone on the call is going to be uh, well-versed in the bispecific antibodies. So on the basic level, if you could just give the listener an idea about these constructs, the bispecifics, what are they specifically and what do they do? The bispecific antibody is described in technical terms to attach to a protein, and not just to a single protein, but to two different proteins. In other words, 
if this if these two different proteins are uh, displayed on the surface of two different cells, it's a bispecific antibody works as a as a as a glue or better as a bridge. Mm-hmm. But if you have the idea of now taking one cell and you want to bring it into the proximity of another cell, this is what our bispecific antibodies do. I see. And now we're going to talk about these specific specific constructs that you have. And uh, but first, I just uh, two very general questions. I do a lot of work in immunology. And um, CAR T cells are extremely popular, and every other company is doing it. Could you first give me an idea of the advantages a bispecific approach has over a CAR T? And the second is, uh, this is more specific to Afimid, which is these constructs are in the industry generally referred to as T cell engagers, but Afimid isn't targeting T cells. You're targeting the innate system. That would be the second question. We'll talk about that. So first, what are the advantages of CAR-T? In principle, what you do is when you engineer a CAR-T, you're making, in this case, a T-cell, recognizing a, uh, a protein on the surface of another cell, in this case, a tumor cell. As I described before, with a biospecific antibody, you can achieve exactly the same bridging two cells. What's different is very simply to be described. Today, when you want to have a CAR-T treatment, you first need to engineer this product. It doesn't exist. Mm. So you need to come to the hospital, they make it for you, and a couple of weeks later, you may be, you may be treated. Our product, indeed, already sits in the, in the fridge of a hospital pharmacy, and it can be taken to be injected into the patient at the time when the patient shows up in the hospital. So it's so much more shelf. convenient. Yeah. It's yeah. off the shelf, it's much more convenient, and that's why a physician would always prefer a treatment that's available as compared to one that has to be made. Now the second part is for T-cell engagers. That's not what you're doing. Uh, explain to me a bit more uh, in general, and we'll talk about the exact construct in just a moment, of uh, how your targeting is different from the typical T-cell engager. There are two different immune systems in our body. One is the innate immune system, and the second one is the adaptive immune system. T cells belong to the adaptive, and innate cells, natural killer cells, and macrophages belong to the innate immune system. If you follow the uh, origin of a tumor, the first step a tumor has to achieve is to avoid recognition by the innate immune system. So where everything starts mm-hmm. is this lack of recognition by the innate immune system. Later on, also that prevents a T-cell response. So what we were thinking is instead of using an engineered T-cell or a T-cell engager, if we would bring along the innate immune system to recognize the tumor, then we may not only have an elimination event, but the innate immune system is also the basic to enable the adaptive immune system. If this enablement would, help, uh, would happen, then in general we would have a patient that can indeed uh, be considered as cured. All right. Um, now, Ethanid as a company uh, was working on both. You were working on T-cell engagers and the innate uh, engagers. 
Um, but you've since now had an exclusive focus or refocus, if you will, on the innate system. Now, um, from a management perspective, were you concerned that your investors might have an issue with that, or, or were you fairly confident that you would be able to make this argument about your refocus? Yeah. So we obviously have been investing into the innate uh, selling gauges uh, for a already a long time. So we're working on that since the past 10 years. So this is not uh, something novel. And, however, we were indeed one of the pioneers, maybe the pioneer, in terms of developing uh, a, a novel strategy with my specific antibodies. So it took a while until we had enough data generated that were meaningful enough to attract investor interest. This was different for the T-cell space. The T-cell space already had uh, achieved a, uh, a peak level with uh, the data micromet generated back in 2009, 10, 11. So our field mm -hmm. was somewhat behind. And uh, as I said, we were starting to invest into this. But in the past one, two years, we had extraordinary successes. It's our clinical data. We were demonstrating in different uh, clinical trials uh, with lymphoma patients single agent efficacy, so objective responses, deep responses. But mm -hmm. the other second event that really helped us to put this technology into the minds of uh, investors, pharmaceutical industry, was the deal with Genentech. They've done a signed up for a major collaboration with Afimed, giving us almost $100 million in upfront. And we are now making innate selling gauges for them. And this by Genentech, who is known to own almost every antibody engineering technology uh, mm -hmm. in their houses. So this was definitely, these were the two events that uh, made us uh, focusing on innate selling gadgets now in the future, because we see a huge potential in this, uh, in this platform. All right, so now we're going to go directly to the two agents that are leading your, in your platform, uh, the AFM13 and AFM24. Let's start with 13. Uh, give me the target and the indication and just a snapshot of where we are in development. Again, not too many details. Uh, we're, we're trying to keep this a shorter podcast, but the top line results for this agent. So agent 13 has been a molecule that is recognizing CD16A on natural killer cells and macrophages. And it does that on a very unique epitope that makes these, this molecule more potent, more specific. So we can thereby attach innate immune cells in a more stringent way to attack tumor cells. In this case, the tumor cell has to carry CD30. Got so it. we're working and developing this drug in CD30 positive lymphoma. Excellent. And uh, where are you right now? You're in phase two, phase three? So we've been uh, running a set of uh, clinical studies in order to better understand how uh, innate immune cell activation works. And the first thing we learned is it, has, it appears to have a very good safety profile. Mm -hmm. Number two, I mentioned that we were seeing single agent efficacy in indications with hard to treat patients. In my elevator pitch, I mentioned that we have made patients now considered to be cured with a drug that's following uh, such a principle. Mm -hmm. So that's the uh, basics that we have learned. In addition, we have done some investigations to understand 
the com uh, combination potential. And we have, in the meantime, learned to focus on a combination with adoptively transferred natural killer cells. I'll come back to that later. Oh, interesting. More yeah, I'll ask you about is that. Yeah, go ahead. So more interesting to us was the single agent efficacy. And in one indication, T-cell lymphoma, we've seen a very high response rate. We have in the meantime treated 10 patients, of which five have either a partial or a complete response, response which, would, mm -hmm. uh, which, which by number is 50%. That's prompted us now to take this drug forward to a registration-directed study in a very debilitating form of T-cell uh, lymphoma called peripheral T-cell lymphoma. We've had discussions with FDA about protocol and uh, study design, and we've reached agreement recently, and we're now in the process of initiating the study and uh, are aiming for first patient in, in, this, uh, in the second half of this year. Um, now, I know with the, especially with the, um, with the CAR-Ts and certain biospecifics that have been in the clinic, uh, there have been toxicity issues that were surprising to people that they didn't see in preclinical work. Uh, did you see any safety signals uh, in your work so far that you didn't expect? And obviously, this is always the concern if you're developing immunotherapies, and uh, we uh, had obviously broadly investigated this in uh, so many different settings, preclinically and clinically, mm -hmm. and we've treated in the meantime uh, much more, many more than uh, uh, 70, 80 patients in different kinds of studies and the safety profiles are much more benign than when compared to T cells and indeed are appearing, uh, are appearing to be very beneficial. Yeah, I am hearing that across the innate space, that the, the toxicity is much less. Um, you're, are you working with MD Anderson on this? So that's a, good, that's a good question. So what are we doing there? So let me go back to the monotherapy, yes? Uh, we mm -hmm. have five out of 10 patients responding in other settings it's in the range of 25%. So we have a lot of patients that do not yet respond in a meaningful manner. Important is we are very often seeing tumor shrinkage, but not to a, as I say, meaningful degree. So we were thinking about what could be the reasons, and uh, one could be that these patients may in the first place may not have sufficient uh, innate immune system or may not have an, an, an active one. So that different reasons that we have been exploring, and we think we found a simple solution. Why, instead of uh, working with the patient's own immune system initially, why not using an external immune system? And this is what we identified in our collaboration with uh, MD Anderson. They are one of the pioneers of developing uh, natural killer cells yeah, yeah. as a cellular platform. So they have core blood-derived uh, uh, they develop uh, core blood-derived natural killer cells, which is off the shelf, and have already treated a significant number of patients, and again shown that this technology is very safe. However, the efficacy w wasn't as high as uh, uh, you may have hoped for. And here it comes when we bring these two technologies together. We have preclinically studying that, and we were seeing that through the combination of their platform, their adoptive platform, and our innate cell engagers, we can significantly enhance the efficacy both in vitro and in in vivo models. Oh, okay. I, I mean, I know I'm familiar with uh, Dr. Rizvani's work there, so I mean, this makes a lot of sense to me. 
Okay, um, now with AFM 24, these are the same questions. Uh, what are you targeting? What's your initial indication? And uh, do you have any clinical results yet? Uh, AFM 24, again, is on the one side targeting CD16, so again, in a immune system, and its tumor target is EGF receptor. This is a very well-known tumor target where already several products are on the market. However, most of these drugs, or all of these drugs, work indeed by inhibiting the growth factor signal, basically the growth factor signal, they are signal transduction inhibitors. We're going a very different direction. We now use the uh, overexpressed target to locate innate immune cells in order to eliminate these cells. Thereby, we have a much broader ability to treat patients so resistances are less important to us, and we have a very broad set, indeed, of indications as EGFR is so widely expressed, such as in colon cancer, lung cancer, glioblastoma, triple negative. So there are significant numbers of opportunities out. Obviously, this is a novel approach because we're taking now an inner cell engager into solid tumors. But we already have seen in the past some successes with drugs that, have a, that are engineered to enhance innate cell immune function. So in a kind of these are the ADCC-enhanced antibodies. And, uh, and these successes are indeed helping us to believe that AFM24 could be even a stronger and more meaningful activator of innate immunity because its affinity to CD16 is higher, the specificity is higher. So frequently we have shown that we are highly differentiating from standard of care on the one side, but also from state-of-the-art existing technology. Indeed, that's also the reason why Genentic partnered up with us because they obviously have available ADCC-enhanced antibodies, but they see the potential that we can enhance this innate uh, immune cell activation in a significant manner, much more significant manner. All right. Now, uh, I want to uh, be very specific about the next steps. So if you could give me the very next step in the development for, uh, for the, um, I'm sorry, for, <clears throat> for, AM, for AFM 13, what's the very next step for that? You mentioned innate cells. Yes. Yeah. So the... Um, uh, next step for us is to initiate uh, the phase two registration directed study. Uh, I mentioned okay. before that uh, we have agreement with FDA on uh, protocol uh, design, and uh, we are doing a global study uh, in, uh, in in a lot of centers, indeed, uh, many more than uh, 70 centers, and uh, treating a disease, uh, peripheral T-cell lymphoma, that beyond first line, in some cases, some second line, there, is ve there are very, very little options, indeed almost no options. This is now our goal to initiate the study so that we uh, may see first data in 2020. And if such interim look that we will have during 2020 is positive, we then can go forward and bring this to a registration study. So we would need about 100 patients in order to have the study fully enrolled. And uh, with having fulfilled that and 
if the data look good, then you can find. Excellent. And now, the second, uh, yeah, yeah FM24. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the second important drug that we're developing, uh, you just mentioned it, IFM24, is uh, on its way for an IND filing. We intend to file towards the, uh, around the end of uh, Q3 and subsequently would uh, initiate first uh, patient in. Okay. And now we're going to go straight to some just a couple of three uh, specifically business-related questions. Um, the first is IP. Uh, is all this IP in-house, or have you licensed things, or where do we stand on that? Yeah, so much of the IP has been generated by Affimed itself. Okay. And uh, this is the advantage if you are a pioneer. Uh, you have a fairly uh, open, wide field, and uh, we have uh, used that to file a broad set of, uh, of patents. Obviously, again, that's been important uh, in order to protect your molecules, but it also prevents others uh, from easily copying what you're doing. Right. And uh, this is uh, then the basis for doing a further business development deals such as the genetic type of collaboration. All right, and then this this the very general financing questions. Number one, uh, where are you listed? What's your current valuation? How much cash do you have on hand, and what's your current runway? Yeah. Uh, the listing of Affimed has been a bit unusual because we did not go the traditional route as a German company to list that on the German or European stock markets. Uh, we were a fairly early-stage company, uh, when we uh, then did the listing in the U.S. on NASDAQ, we were indeed the first German company that uh, took that route. Uh, others have followed us, which is uh, indeed very grateful that we can see that uh, we can make use of uh, the uh, very positive investor environment uh, here in the U.S. We've been able to raise significant amount of cash, both non-dilutive and uh, dilutive, and uh, currently have roughly $100 million uh, cash uh, at hand, and our runway is into 2021. Okay. And the very last question, and this is, is as topical as you can be because we are talking about meeting in the Hamptons. And uh, now you and I, we've been in the Hamptons, I don't know, three or four times at least. Uh, where have you had the most constructive conversations? At the topping rows or on the beach? Yeah, this is, is a good question. Indeed, <laughs> I always had good conversations at, uh, at each of the places. But what really makes me coming every year to this event is, is the beach, because this is when you can meet investors uh, and see the people who are behind, basically who are behind the fund. Yeah, you're not just seeing uh, the person, but also uh, what he's doing, what he's interested in. So for me, being at this uh, evening event at the Clambake is really a, an extraordinary opportunity that you do not find very often in our industry. Excellent. Well, Dr. Adi Hurst, CEO of Affimed, thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much, Neil. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I look forward to having some nice glasses of wine in the Hamptons again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.